our meeting we talked about last week. We had our meeting today with uh, the Boys and Girl Club, uh, the executive director and his uh, assistant. And it was uh, Kelly and I and Jill and them. And so what we really did was, you know, the kind of the goal was to say, how can we partner with Boys and Girls Club and somehow have a ministry to them and, and with them and trying to find out what they needed. And I kind of had in my mind an agenda. My agenda was to somehow get the gospel into, you know, up to 600 kids, all right, which is what they've been having uh, through this summer. Um, and so uh, I think that that was pretty well accomplished, wouldn't you say, Kelly? Yeah. So they basically said, uh, what do you want to do? Uh, they're closed on Sunday, but they said, we'll, we'd open it for you, and you can do service there. You can do, we'll arrange to have kids picked up, and you can pick up the kids, and we'll coordinate with parents and tell the parents, and it was really, and I said, well, so I, I just thought I better ask it. I said, well, do you think there's going to be a problem? I mean, we're like a church, and you're not. You know, I just wanted to get it out there, so we, we did cover that ground. No, they looked at each other, no, we don't see any problem at all. So I'm going, okay, well, then we're in. So I think next step is to, to really kind of take all the notes, try to pull those together, come up with some kind of a, a strategy uh, for reaching these kids for Christ. Um, I think he said about 60% of them are considered homeless, which is pretty amazing. So homeless kind of falls into a category. If you're living in an apartment, uh, you're considered homeless. If there's more than three families in an apartment made for one, you're considered homeless. If you're living in a shack, like one of these portable sheds, you're considered homeless. So the idea is you don't have any kind of a structure, permanency that's adequate for you. That puts in you in the homeless thing. And the problem with a lot of these uh, kids that are in apartments is they um, they can't stay. You just Even if you can pay the rent, you can't stay 12 months out of the year because there's a city law. You have to go out. For, yeah, you can be in for so long, and then you have to come back out for two weeks, and you have to go back in. So there's there's a law because they're not designed for that. So they have kind of ways that they shift it around so they kind of make it work. But that's what that's who we give the all the presents to at Christmas time, the boys and girls, the uh, homeless uh, boys and girls. Of uh, so we do about three thousand of those at Christmas time. So it's pretty pretty amazing ministry. So this seems to be the next logical step. Amen. So wouldn't it be great to see about five hundred kids saved? I'd like to see about 500 of them running around here. Um, that would be awesome. Um, hey, well, let's pray. Uh, I know Kelly just prayed, but I just feel like I need to pray, all right? God, uh, we want to thank you that we can come into your presence, and God, we can, we can encounter you. We pray that your word would become alive in us right now. Father, you would powerfully speak to us, Father, by your spirit, that you would give us, God, the wisdom that comes from above. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you. And as we talk about... Uh, about the, these last two chapters now, Father, and kind of bringing together what does it really mean to be free, we just pray that you will give us insight into that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, tonight we're going to look at chapter 9 and 10, and hopefully you've had a chance to, to glean through those chapters and kind of get a feel for them. But uh, this one's on past wounds. We kind of ended last week with past wounds. I talked about kind of a past wound in my life and and uh, how that affected me, and really unknowingly how it really had really affected me. But um, it's an interesting kind of concept. You can overcome a problem and not overcome the wound, and the wound never be healed. So you're not dealing with the issue, but you're dealing with the effects of the issue that's turning you in different ways. 
And those, uh, those, those wounds from the past, and they, they don't have to be, you know, your childhood. They could be last year, right? Those wounds of the past, they, they become open doors for the enemy to come in and get, get our attention and really distract us and really take all the joy and all the victory out of us. So uh, it can keep you from doing what you really want to do in life, and spiritually speaking. Um, it can become a stronghold. And they can become wounds that really hold us in bondage. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, if you will. Luke chapter 4. Good to see you back, Sherry. It seemed like you've been traveling forever, right? But uh, don't forget to pray for our, our uh, leader, some of our leadership and our senior high students. They're all away at Hume Lake. Should be a fun time, good camp time. But let's, uh, let's look at verses 16 through 22, if we can. Uh, it says, so he, that is Jesus, uh, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and his custom was, and he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath day and he stood and read. Now this was customary, by the way. You would hand a scroll to a rabbi and they would be able to read and they would read uh, the scripture. Uh, typically it was laid out for the day. So, you know, it wasn't like he just rolled it up, opened it up and said that. It was just happens to be that this was the prophetic, the mess- messianic passage says, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all that were upon him in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all that bore witness uh, to him and marveled at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And what's the answer? No. It's not Joseph's son. Because who is the father? See? Isn't this Joseph's son? Well, how is it he's claiming to be the Messiah? They knew exactly what was happening. He, he might as well just said, I'm him, that's me, and that's what I've come to do. And that's why when you see Jesus ministering, many times he goes out of his way to heal people on the Sabbath day or at the synagogue. Have you ever noticed that? Why does he do that? He wants them to understand that people are more important than their rituals, than their routines. He wanted them to know that the Sabbath was not made to, to crush people, but to liberate people. And so this passage becomes very, very powerful. So um, he came to preach the gospel. Let's just take it, take it apart a little bit here. Um, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Why do you think it's, why, why would Isaiah, we'll look at that Isaiah passage later, but why would Isaiah, the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, why would he say to preach the gospel to the poor and not to everyone? Just, I don't know that I have the right answer. I'm just asking you. What do you think? Shout it out. What do you think? Not everyone would receive it. So you're saying the poor would be more likely to receive it? Right? Right. Okay. 
Okay, so easier for those without anything to receive the gospel. Okay, anybody else going to say anything? John? Okay, all right. What else? I, I don't know that I have the right answer. I'm just, we're kind of guessing here, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when you're without, you know, you've got, where do I turn, right? Because, what's that? Okay, it could be porn spirit too. Yeah, receptive, just more instead of economically, maybe we could look at it from, you know, I know that I need God. That's a good point. Yeah, good. Anything else? You know, whenever you read Scripture, it's always good to probe a little bit and ask questions of what you're reading. And just kind of, it helps you to kind of remember, it helps you to kind of understand it. You know, there is a Scripture that says, the poor heard him gladly. It was a refreshing message. They hadn't had a lot of good news, and the gospel was good news, and this was good news. And then it says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, that should be a pretty big crowd. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't really seem to affect any economic barrier, does it? Everybody can have a broken heart. Everybody can be wounded. To proclaim liberty to the captive, well, we know what captivity is. That can be in jail or it can be in your home. It can be, you can be a captive. Recovery of sight to the blind, clearly physical. Set of liberty to those who are oppressed. Now, this seems to be, be moving now more into the demonic world, I would say. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he kind of walks us through some things and and let's just talk a little bit about what does it mean to heal the brokenhearted. And I, as you think about it, what, what brings about a broken heart? Well, we could say a great disappointment could bring about a, bro- a broken heart. We could say hurt, scorn, uh, being forgotten, being crushed, being rejected. I almost think that sometimes you can experience that and it's not even intentional on the other person's part. I think parents do that to children unintentionally. I think some of them are intentional, but I think they do it unintentionally because you don't know what's really going on the inside. Remember that old antage, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's the stupidest thing in the world. I mean, you'd rather get beat up with sticks and stones because you can recover from that, right? But it's the words that are so powerful. Why are, the wor- why are words so hurtful? Why, why is it 99 people can tell you something good and one person tell you something bad and you remember the bad? Why is that? Let's just, what do you think? Huh? They are like a two-edged sword. What else? Why words? Why are words so hurtful? Stick with your mind. Yeah, it gets lodged in your head. Okay, what else? Okay, all right. Might really just, they really mean it. It's not just like I said something stupid. Okay. You don't ever you don't really ever forget, do you? Isn't that weird? I think, and this is my speculation, I think the reason is because words are a unique communication device of God given to man. If you think about it, how do you create the world? The word. And, and when he came to earth, he came as the word. He said, You'll be held accountable for every idle word. Word, right? I mean, if you think about it, he says whole, whole, uh, a whole forest can be put on fire with a spark, and one word can set a whole field of gossip on fire, right? He said you can tame the big animals of the world, but you can't tame the tongue. There's something divine about it. I know people think their animals can talk. 
you know, and one of you probably has got a cat, a dog, or a bird. You know, birds probably can talk, but, but you know, I mean, really communicate in a language. And, and yet, it is something that's really set apart by, by God for man. So um, the, deeper, the deeper the wound, the more seated those things get in our spirit man. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit dwells in your spirit man. And you can have, uh, you can have something that affects your spirit, the spiritual side of you, specifically the soul. We can call it a soul wound. And it affects your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it gets so deep in there that you can't really shake it. And sometimes you don't even know why you have it there. Where did that come from? You know? And that's why last time we were trying to trace back and say, let's go back at a moment in time when that might have occurred. But it might not be the earliest memory. You may, you may find something a little bit later. Um, and, and how does it start to manifest itself? Well, one way is independence. When you have a wound, sometimes it'll manifest itself like this. I don't need anybody. We call those defense mechanisms in, in the psychological world. But if we get into the spiritual world, what's really happening here is saying, I really don't need anybody, but what I'm really saying is I won't get hurt again. And I'll put up every wall I know possible to ensure that I don't get hurt again. Now, what's the problem with that strategy? You've never got over the first hurt. That's the problem with the strategy. So what you do is you keep the first hurt and you put up the guard to ensure that not only does nobody hurt you again, but that hurt never goes away. That's the worst part of it, isn't it? So independence is one of those things. I don't need anybody. Um, or, and it could be, you know, hey, somebody's trying to give you advice, like break the wall down. No, you don't understand. I've been down that road. I'm not breaking the wall down. I'm fine where I am. Do not mess with me right now. And they kind of get the idea that you mean it. But what does it stem from? It stems from two things, rejection or abandonment. Rejection or abandonment. So what happens is when we get that kind of a, I don't need anybody, you know, I put up the wall kind of thing, somewhere along the line we've been rejected. And it might not even be what we would classify as a crisis or a turmoil in our life. It could have been something really, really simple as a child of rejection. You know, something very, very innocently done in, on a playground. But you as a little child began to hold on to that, and then the enemy said, you know what, I just know exactly where I can get you. I'll get your attention. Whenever I need to get your attention, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to just, just touch on that abandonment, touch on that rejection a little bit. And, and what that will do is that will bring up a whole new set of scenarios, you'll, and it will be masked because you'll never really know what it is. Um, so we erect these walls to protect ourselves. And uh, another thing that we do sometimes is it manifests itself in touchiness. You know, just a little bit oversensitivity. Um, you feel like you've got to walk on eggshells around somebody because you, you don't know what's going to set them off. They don't know what's going to set them off. You know, and, and sometimes we'll kind of talk to people and say, you know, you really just need to relax. And you need a break. You need to go on vacation. But a break and a vacation won't help that. Because you didn't get the problem, you see, by working too hard. You didn't get the problem by not going on vacation. If that was the antidote, then all you'd have to do to undo everything, any problem you had in life is just go on a vacation. But what, what happens when the prob- with, the, with the problem when you go on vacation? Where does it go? It goes on vacation too. This is great. I love it. 
you know, I'm sitting on the beach, new opportunities here to, to, to dig deep into the wound, right? For touchiness to happen, you know, and just be a little bit easily offended. Ever know anybody that's easily offended? I, don't th- I think I told you this one time, I'll say it again, but uh, I determined one year, years ago, I never tried to uh, try it again, I determined I would learn, I would spend the whole year being totally unoffended. January 1st, I said, I will not be offended this year. I got till about February 1st, right? You know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, why did they do that? And I'm going, wait a minute, I think that's off- being offended. What happened? But, you know, we can get offended without it being a deep wound, what does it do to you? That's what you've got to ask. What does it do to you? So easily offended. How about take comments very personally? A little bit too much. You know, it, there's some value in just being able to laugh at yourself, right? Sometimes we laugh at ourselves, and that's a defense mechanism to avoid the pain too. It's like the wall. It's just the laughter. That's kind of one of my specialties. My special defense mechanism is, you know, I'll just make fun of it, and I'll move on. You know, because that was the way I was raised. That was the way my mom kind of did it. And I thought, well, I better, she's laughing about it. I might as well laugh about it too. But you can, you know, but I think when you get to that place where you say, you know, I'm just not going to take myself so seriously in life, okay? Um, How about uh, can't joke around with a person? You know, like, hey, that's funny. No, that's not funny. That really hurt me. And you go, whoa, where'd that come from? That didn't come from that comment. That had to come somewhere deeper. And see, when we, you know, our mind is so complex. I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, we can only, we can only keep about um, six to ten conscious thoughts. But we can maintain four billion subconscious thoughts. Now, think about it. It's a filing cabinet that's stuffed with all the stuff you've been dealing with, and the enemy knows it exactly how to get your attention. That's why we said, you know, last week, have you ever been praying? You're just praying. Man, you're doing really good, and all of a sudden this, this crazy thought, comes in your mind. You go, where did that come from? I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about Jesus. I was praying. And all of a sudden it came through my mind because the enemy said, you know, I don't really think I like him praying. I'm, I'm going to do something to disrupt you because I know if you ever tap into that source of strength and power, you're going to overcome this obstacle in your life. And I don't want that to happen in your life. How about this one? It manifests itself in excessive shyness or loneliness. Now, sometimes this is kind of like abandonment because in abandonment, what do we do? In abandonment, we just say, well, I'm just going to shut down, right? But you can also just kind of do this thing where I'm just going to get lonely. I'm just going to get all by myself. And, uh, you know, my mom, my mom was an interesting character. She was, a, she was an artist, and she had all the right characteristics of being an artist, you know, melancholy temperament, you know, um, you know very reclusive very artistic. If you've ever been to our house, you know, we have about 50 of her paintings up. I have about another 100 out in the garage that we've never put up yet because frames are so expensive. But, um, but, you know, but the darker she was, the deeper she was, the better she painted. You know, if she was happy, there was going to be no good work coming out of her. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Right? And if you have that artistic bent, you know that that's true. Our son, Josh, uh, was uh, he went away to college, and he just didn't do good being away from mom and dad. He was a mama's boy for sure. Um, and so he was out there, and he had a guitar, and, and he can sing a little bit and play guitar a little bit. He was writing some of the best songs. He was so depressed. The minute he came home, he couldn't write a thing. 
had no interest in the guitar whatsoever. But he was writing, good song, that's a good song. I said, son, if I just send you back to college, we could make some money off of you. I mean, seriously, these are good songs. But it came out of some part of him that was just deep and hurtful. You know, and a lot of writers are that way too. That's when they, they have to go back and revisit that. This is an interesting thing. I heard a guy who wrote the screenplay for, uh, remember that um, Color Purple? Was that the name of it? Yeah. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for that, and, and he was telling me, he said, how I wrote that was when I was growing up, my mom would lock me in a closet when she would go away to work to keep me safe. I mean, Right? Great strategy, Mom. He said, so I would go in there, and uh, I would purposely, you know, like not drink any water, not drink anything in the morning because I couldn't do anything. I would, you know, I'd have to go to the bathroom in the closet. And then she'd come home. She'd get mad at me because I went to the bathroom in the closet. He said, for me to write, what I would do is I would go back into the closet mentally, and I would remember how I felt, and I would tap into those deep emotions, and then they would allow me to write a screenplay. Now, how's that for torment? But now think, is that really any different than you and I? When you revisit one of those old wounds, revisit one of those dark times in your life, aren't you really reliving the closet? What we've got to do is we've got to get the closets out of the house, so to speak. And that's really what this, this chapter is really all about. How do we get, the, get it out? How about need for control? Everybody, ever know anybody who was just a dictator? Why, why are you laughing? Gosh, you almost work for somebody like that or something, right? Unless you're laughing and think it's me. It's not me, is it? But, um, but just dictatorial. You know, everything had to be their way, their way, their way, their way. I went to dinner with someone not too long ago, and, and uh, this guy, you know, just living in fear of losing his job. Because this guy, you know, like one day, you know, he's just happy or the greatest guy in the world, and the next day it's like, you know, like dictator, you're not doing anything, and he just he lives in constant turmoil. Constant turmoil, you know. How about manipulative? When, you know, when a person needs to be in control, they manipulate the situation for their own benefit. Um, they want to put others in their place. And what's really going on? If that's, you know, and I, you may not be dictatorial, but you may have to have control. And you, you don't even think of that being control, something you do in your life. But here's the, here's the root of it. And sometimes if you know kind of the root of it, it helps you understand, oh, that's why I do that. It is this, that they, they have a fear that, they will, that their life will get out of control if they don't control it really heavily and strongly. So if I, if, I, if I lose control here, what if life gets away from me? What if I can't manage life? And I can't imagine life without me being without managing it. So therefore, what do I do? I just make it tighter and tighter and tighter until it just keeps going on. Uh, Josh, when he was in college, he worked for a guy that uh, he worked at Jiffy Lube. Remember Jiffy Lube? But he was the windshield guy. Jiffy Lube had a pretty creative idea going there for a while in St. Louis. And the idea was that you bring your car in for an oil change. They had a guy there who was a windshield specialist. The windshield specialist went out and he found any chips in your windshield. And if you had a chip in your windshield, he would uh, say, hey, let me call your insurance company, see if you've got coverage. And, you know, if so, then we've got, a, we've got a company here that just comes in, puts a windshield in, and the windshield guy's happy, and Jiffy Lube gets whatever they get, whatever their commission for a new windshield, right? So this guy was totally this guy. And he smoked all the time, and, and he, he was a close talker. 
Now, if you're a close talker and you smoke all the time and you have foul language, it's a bad mix. Let me tell you something, right? So he'd come up and he'd have that cigarette in his mouth and he'd come right in Joshua's face like this. He goes, Josh, talk like this. Josh. Josh. How many windshields you sell today? Josh. That's all? Blow smoke in his face. Josh, you want to be coal? You want to be a diamond? Huh? You want to be coal? It's going to crush you. This pressure is going to crush you, Josh. You want to be a diamond? Just let the pressure come. Go sell some more windshields. Josh sold some windshields, I'll tell you that much. People that need to be in control are poor listeners. Now, iPhones do not qualify you for this malady, right? I mean, you, iPhone, uh, your, your own personal phones have made us all bad listeners, right? Hey, hey, I'm talking to you. No, I'm, just a minute. One, I just got one more text. No, no, I'm talking to you. Stop, right? I left my phone at home the other day. You know, have you ever done this? You're driving off, and you go, i got to go get my phone. I thought, I'm not going to get it. I'm just see if I can do this, right? And, I, you know, I actually was amazed. I actually survived. I, I, I don't know how it happened, you know, but Tammy had hers, and she was working on it all the time. So, you know, kind of helped a little bit. At least somebody was getting a fix. Um, but people in control, they have anger. They have insecurity. They have pride. They have independence. They have touchiness. Uh, it's all evidence of a broken heart, a broken heart. You know, it, it, it's really amazing. I can, um, we can say something like this um, at an invitation time. Um, just, I think I did this a week or two ago. I said, how many of you would say there's something right now that just is crushing your spirit? Would you raise your hand? And at least 50% of the hands in the auditorium will go up. But aren't they Christians? Aren't they Christians? Doesn't, isn't something going on in their life? What's, what's the problem here? What is going on? Okay. Let's, uh, let's just keep moving here, and then we're going to jump into some Scripture here that I think is going to be really helpful to you. Uh, so you can have, uh, you ever had a bruise? Timmy fell down the stairs the other day. It was a great fall. I came around the corner. Ice cubes were flying. I go, what in the world happened? We just had the carpets cleaned, and they were slick at the top, and she hit the top one, and we don't have carpet on our, on our stairway. And here she came bouncing down the stairs, big bruise, you know. And, you know, why is a bruise evident? What's it evidence of? What's happened? Huh? Yeah, it's internal bleeding, right? That's what it is. Emotional bruising happens too, Okay. It gets on the inside. Let's just take our Bibles. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, um, verses 3 through 5. It says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. It's a pretty good word, right? Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. Don't you like that? Why does he do that? Let's go ahead and read the next part of that verse. What does it say? So we can comfort somebody else. You know why God saves you so you can lead someone else to Christ? Why God comforts you so you can comfort someone else? You know, that scripture came alive to us when our son was in intensive care and told that we couldn't live. He wasn't going to live. And, and I thought, you know, wow, 
God, you're comforting us here in this tough time. And it says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort. Now, look at this. This is the key. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's not our comfort. It's the, it's the Spirit of God comforting them. We become a vessel that simply, let's say, transmits, hands off the comfort we have. It's not our, it's not our words of compassion, and those are powerful and important, but it's, there's a comfort that comes from God, and we go, can you, you can have this comfort. I got this comfort. I'm going to give this comfort to you. That's pretty powerful, I think. Pretty powerful. And so an emotional bruise, when it's untreated, can become uh, a, an entry point for demonic activity. That's really what happens with an emotional bruise. All of a sudden, the, a spirit gets, gets our attention there, begins to oppress us, begins to pressure us, begins to kind of t- take us down a road we don't want to go. And then sometimes what happens in that is you're feeling hurt, you've got that open wound there, And guess what you do? You get the false comforter who comes along. You know who that is? It's maybe your best friend, maybe your wife, maybe somebody else, but they come along and say, you know, I I know how you feel. They did that to me or I had that same feeling. That's the false comforter. They're identifying with your pain, and what they're doing in the process is they're disregarding the other person. Or they're hurting the other, they're trying to put the other person in a bad light. I feel that too. You see, there's a false comforter because even Satan, when he comes, he comes as an angel of light, doesn't he? Okay, if he masquerades himself as an angel of light, if, then he's going to try to replicate in some way everything the Holy Spirit does. So he's going to try to bring you his version of truth, his version of comfort his version of power, his version of whatever, you name it, whatever God does, this, this Satan when he comes as an angel of light, he's going to come in a false manner. And it's actually going to feel good. You ever had anybody say that to you? Like, you know, you're offended and you tell somebody about it and they say, I know, I'm offended too. But, and they put their arm around you, you know, man, I know how you feel, that's awful. That's false comfort. That's not godly comfort. That is going to take you down the wrong road. Because now you're both offended. Now you have a common enemy, whoever that person is, that situation is. Now you have a common enemy, and you've neither one of you have solved the problem. You're in worse shape than you were before. Wow. Does that happen? Does that happen? I mean, it happens all the time. We know it does, okay? Let's just take our, uh, um, hmm. let's just go on. I just want to read the rest of this through verse 7. I think it's, it's really, really powerful. It says, uh, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also the consolation abounds through us. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings with which we suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers in the suffering, so also you, you partake in the consolation. So he says, we're out here, we're doing this work, we're suffering, but we want you to know that we're being blessed too. 
God's comforting us. If you're going through comfort, just, just know that that's we are too. If you're going through suffering, so are we. And there's an identification in the body, but we're not going to be comforted by someone else. That's why he set it up by saying, it's not your comfort, it's a comfort wherewith we are comfort, comforted. Go, back, uh, go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at uh, verses 26 and 27, okay? Be angry. Great verse, huh? Be angry. You ever put that one up on your refrigerator? That's my verse. Be angry. God gave you permission to be angry. It's a real emotion, Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry, but what? But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So I guess what that means is stay mad. And if you see the sun going down, hurry up and get it all out before the sun goes down. Is that what it means? Yeah, kind of. It's also an idiom that says don't let it go too long. But it's also good brain strategy because what happens when you sleep? Everything in your conscious mind is then pushed into the, into the subconscious mind, and now it's there forever. If you can deal with it while it's in the subconscious mind, get it out of your, get it, then it's going to have less effect on you in the days ahead. It's just science. Isn't that interesting? So what we do is we don't let a toxic thought bore deep into our head. We say, I've got to get this resolved before the sun goes down. In other words, I can't let this go another day. You ever said that? You know, I'm not letting this go another day. Now, me, I like to go ahead and just let it settle in deep, you know, just stir itself around and get all tangled up inside, don't you? Just let it get in there, you know. I'm not ready to deal with it. Because have you ever noticed how sometimes being angry feels good? You ever, you ever been angry and kind of felt good about it? You know, part of the reason is the way you, you're designed, too. It is, there is this natural adrenaline that happens when you get mad. That's why sometimes you see people get mad and their face gets red, right? You feel warm because adrenaline creates warmth in your body. This, this doctor, Dr. Archibald Hart, found out that, that adrenaline is, a, is the most addictive drug you can put in your body. And so it controls you. So you get addicted. You get, you get hooked on adrenaline. Therefore, you get hooked on anger. And so sometimes you'll say, you know, I'm mad, and I don't want to talk about it right now. Um, and, well, let's just forget. I don't, want to, I don't want to forget it. Why don't you want to forget it? Because it feels good. Now, when it feels good, what is that, what is that for, the, for the enemy? Opportunity. You like it when you feel good. You're empowered when you feel good. You're in control when, you feel, when, when you're angry. You need to be angry more often. So be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now look at this, verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Oh, what does that mean? That means I'm giving opportunity to the enemy, right? When I do that, I'm saying, why don't you come and get in my life? Come take an opportunity. Take control of me right here. All right? Um, Let's go over to Matthew chapter, or let me read one more verse here. Let me read one more verse. Oh, no, that's it, that verse 27. Okay, let's go over to Matthew, Matthew chapter um, 18. Matthew 
Matthew 18. And let's look at um, Matthew 14. Doesn't even look right. Let's go to 18. Matthew, Matthew 18. Okay. Um, okay. Let's just go to um, let's just go to verse 21. I'm going to just kind of walk you through this. Peter came to him and said, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times." Kind of a typical. Uh, part of Judaism. Jesus said, I do not say unto you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So it'd probably be a couple of million dollars in today's economy, right? But as he was not able to pay, the master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had Uh, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was so moved with compassion, he released him and forgave him the debt. That's good news, right? But the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, okay, a couple of bucks, And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, but he went and threw him in prison till he could pay the debt. Which means if you go to prison, you're never paying the debt. So when when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told the master all that had been done. Then the master after he had called him, said unto him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, uh, just as I pitied you? And the master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should be paid all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, each of you, um, from his heart, uh, each of you, uh, from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Wow, what a passage. So here's, here's an application. God saved you, God forgave you, and then you get mad at somebody and won't forgive them. That's what that's talking about. That's what that's talking about. God, I want you to forgive me, but I'm not forgiving that guy because of what he did impossible. I will not forgive him. God says, okay, then I'm going to turn you over to the torturers and the tormentors. Yeah. Yeah, you do. A right to be angry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is hard to forgive sometimes, isn't it? Because what do we do? We think we're punishing the person. If I don't, if I'm mad at you and I won't forgive you, I'm punishing you, I think. But who's really getting punished? Right? Yeah, you're getting punished, right? Now, it says he turns them over the tormentors. Who are the tormentors? In the story, who's the tormentors? What do you think? Huh? Just say it out loud. Jailers, okay. It's a parable. That's a hint here. Parable is a heavenly story with an earthly message, or an earthly story with a heavenly message, I mean. Okay? 
So he's trying to teach you a spiritual kingdom principle here, a spiritual principle, so you don't take it so literal. What is he trying? Who are the tormentors? Okay, it could be demonic forces. Okay, what else? It's the consequences that you experience in your own daily life for not forgiving. Is that not a torment? It's a torment of, of, of anger inside of you. It's the torment of, you know, of ill health. It's a torment of, you know, destructive patterns. It's, uh, it's all kinds of torment. See, that's the tormentors. He doesn't have to put you in jail. You're already in jail. doesn't have to put you in bondage. You're already in bondage if you won't forgive. So he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Why does he do that? He does that so you'll repent. Ouch. You mean God turns me over to things that hurt me so that I'll repent? Absolutely. It gets our attention. Right? Things that hurt get our, seem to get noticed. Have you ever noticed that in your life? They just get noticed. God says, I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. We're going to see what this does to you. I think it's going to have a good effect on you in the end, and you're going to hate it for a while. So he's going to force repentance on you because you're his child. So here's what it says in Hebrews. Every son in whom he loves, he chastises. If you be without chastisement, okay, you'd be an illegitimate son or daughter. Oh, you mean this is what it means. So when I go through that, that's one of the validations of knowing God. Absolutely. Wow. What about all that peace, joy, love, and all that good stuff? Well, you know, he gets around to that too. Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and then I'm going to let you ask each other a few questions here. Okay, we'll have some fun with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I've already kind of touched on some of this, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Okay. Now whom you for, um, yeah, this is right. Okay. Now whom you forgive anything, I also will forgive. But if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one uh, for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So he says, you know what? I, you may have a situation out there, and you forgive them, and Paul says, you know what? If you've got a spirit of forgiveness for them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there with you. I'm not going to get offended too. You ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, you might forgive them, but I'm not going to. That's what Paul's addressing. Then he tells you what the problem is. Look at verse 11. Lest, if you do that, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's one of the way he works. Just get everybody mad at somebody, and Satan can get in there. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm offended. Well, join the club. Get in line. Who isn't from time? Who can't get mad about something, right? Who can't get offended about something? Who can't do this and who can't do that, right? That's the easiest thing in life to do. There's no, no great skill in that, okay? Second Corinthians, stay in that book, go to chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end is according to their works. So what does he do? 
he, he, he brings in that false comfort. He brings in that false message. Satan comes, and he can use your best friend. He can use people that just love God. You can love God and be messed up. Right? Would you all agree with that one? You can love God and be messed up. Not forgiving can actually feel good, but that's the counterfeit. It's a false comfort. Um, and that what, what happens is when you get a false comfort, somebody's actually increasing the offense, not decreasing the offense. They're making it worse. And you'll see it. You know, people are getting little, uh, uh, little wolf packs, right? They're getting little groups. And they're just, yep, 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 yep. You know what they're doing? They're increasing the offense. And all they're doing is they're opening their door up to Satan. And they don't even know it because they're a self-justifying group. Everybody, everybody agrees, yeah, and then, then they'll make it worse. They'll go, well, and we prayed about it. We prayed about it. We all prayed about it. We felt good. I, I bet you did. But who spoke? I promise you this. If you prayed about it, you were offended, and the offense increased, and you didn't seek forgiveness, you didn't seek reconciliation, you didn't get your message from God. I don't know where you got it, but you didn't get it from God, because that's not the way he works. You might just be self-justifying all that, but it ain't coming from him. We need true comfort. It comes from God. How do we do that? We've got to revisit the place where we were wounded. What did it really offended me? And, you know, sometimes you, you think it was the thing that just happened, but really that wasn't a big deal. What it did was, in your heart, it took you back to something that really was a big deal. And that was where Satan got a hold of you. That's where he got, your adva- got an advantage to you. Okay, so let's take our books, and I want you to turn to page 188, okay? One eighty-eight. We've got some uh, group questions here, okay? So let's just uh, do our little counting routine. We're going to start right here. One. We're going to count to four. One. Now you're one. One, two. Remember your number, okay? No, you're not five, Marlene. You're going to go to purgatory. Okay. What are you? What? You're one. You're one. Got it. Okay, so who's you're the first one. Where do you want your group to meet? Okay, you're going to go over here by the fireplace. Okay, group one's over by the fireplace. Group, group two, where are you going to be? Okay, at the end, three, where do you want to be? Okay, right here. And then group four, your group four. Okay, you're right there. Okay, so everybody just go to your group. You've got your book. Take your books with you. Okay. Okay, now group one leader, I want you to do question number three. Okay, group two, you're going to do question number four. Okay. Group three, number five, question number six. Okay. All right, have fun. Okay, here goes. The coffee drinkers are back there stirring or something. Okay, who's your, spe- who's your spokesman here? 
Wow. There's, all right. Okay, you had question what? Which one? Okay, why don't you read number four and then tell us what you came up with, okay? Number four, is there anyone who has hurt you whom you need to forgive? Um, all of us do have somebody in our lives that uh, have hurt us and we need to forgive. And uh, we have forgiven. We have shared a lot of stuff that's kind of like personal. But uh, we've learned to forgive and we realize that what you were saying up there is basically the same thing that we're studying right now and talking about that if you don't forgive, you're, you're, you get bitter and you get angry inside and you won't grow and the Lord can't touch you. At the same token, how the, you were saying about the, we were talking about the jailers, how they were at, um, um, the, God, God will use them, but in the spiritual form, God was using people that we care about or loved ones or things like that to basically torment us, if you could put it that way. So, yes, we are. this is an agreement with the word of scriptures of God, exactly, exactly how you, how you taught it. We were coming up with the same stuff. We're all saying certain things that happened in our past, and certain situations happened just not too long ago. But, yeah, we've, we've healed. Okay, who's the spokesman in this crowd? That means it's you. Okay, what question did you have? Okay, read number six. Is there an area of your life where you've had a broken heart and God has healed you? Um, I think in our group, yes, all of us have had different circumstances that has resulted in a broken heart. And um, one thing we were discussing is in some of our circumstances, we can't pinpoint uh, a point where God healed us. We knew we were just healed. And, and, and I don't know if that comes from uh, not having a bitterness or not um, still loving the person who, who may have been as a result of the broken heart. But I think there, there definitely is something about being healed and not holding that bitterness or that resentment. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did I ask? <laughs> I don't even remember. Oh, th yeah, that's what we were discussing. Can God still heal us even in spite of ourselves? Even if we don't go before him and ask him specifically for healing, we felt that there was healing in our lives in retrospect when we look back. Uh, good question. Um, so you just kind of got accidentally healed, kind of in the process of God, just in his fullness, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Good, good stuff. Okay. All right, who's who's talking in this crowd? Who is the most bitter person in the crowd? We can use them. Who was it? <laughs> Mary. All right, Mary, what, what number did you have? <laughs> they had number five. What did you have? All right. Okay, Mary's going to go ahead and give us number five. I can't believe they did this to me. I don't do this, Phil. And I don't. No, everybody has to do Oh. Okay, I'll hold it for you. The Bible says God is love. What are some of the ways God's love brings healing to our hearts? So we had all kinds of things. So number one is um, God Himself, the Holy Spirit, praise songs, prayers, worship. Other pe other believers. What else did I miss? The word, the word and, forgiveness. and forgiveness. The end. 
Okay. Anybody, did she do enough or did you want her to talk again? We don't want to make her bitter by getting her in this microphone again. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Sure. Okay. Is this our last group over here? Okay. Okay. Who's the spokesman over here? Our question was, why do people often have a hard time coming to God to find healing for their brokenness? And then the second part is, what makes it hard for you to come to God? So we find that um, it's hard for some people to come to God to find healing for their brokenness because of independence, pride. They may not recognize why they're broken, maybe a journey that they're still on. Um, they don't know how to come to God. Um, that was part of the question, what makes it hard for you to come to God? Also, stubbornness. Um. Okay. Pretty good stuff, right? Helps you kind of, does it kind of help to process it with other people, you think? Kind of hear other people and know that you're, you're not the only person that deals with stuff. You know, pe I mean, humans are just complicated. Think about this. In a small way, we're as complicated as God. Right? Because we're made in his image. In a small way, we're as complicated as God, and there's a complexity within us that, you know, gosh, you just try to undo it. Um, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to, um, you can stay right, you're okay where you are, or do you want to go back to your table? However you want to do it, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just going to go over some stuff that's in the book, and then I want to, I want to just actually just read this prayer over you. If you read the book, um, I just read it out loud to myself, I thought it was really healing, but I just want to bless you over with it, and, um, but Three things he said, and, and this is kind of like page 192 if you like to look in your book, but it's um, just a recognition that demonic oppression is real, that deliverance is needed, and sometimes we need to couple that with good discipleship, that is good learning, studying. And then the great thing is that God offers hope in every situation. No situation is hopeless. So four steps. Number one, recognize you have a need. And he uses the prodigal there uh, in Luke chapter 15, verse 15, where he talks about he came to his senses. It's exactly the same phrase that's used of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that when he was reduced down to this animal status-like thing? And it says he came to his senses. He came to realize the God of heaven was real. Number two is repent to God and to others. And that was uh, Luke 15, 18, where he says, I will return to my father. And, you know, sometimes we've, we've made repentance really, we've lost that sense of repentance in our world. It's become confession instead of repentance. Confession, I agree with God, it's right. Or you, somebody says, okay, yeah, you, know, you hurt me, you offended me. Okay, I'm sorry. I agree that, okay? But repentance is this word, this metanoia word that means I'm going in one direction. I literally turn around and I say, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm turning away from what created the problem in the first place. And so we want to have true repentance. We want to change our mind about the way we look at sin. We want to change our mind about the way we look at ourselves. Okay? Instead of trying to justify, just say, no, guilty. You know, let me get this, let me just get it over with. And then change our mind about the way we see God. That God isn't just trying to just pass over everything. He's trying to really conform and shape our character after the character of Christ. So we want to let it have its full effect in our life. And he uses the example in Numbers chapter 21, which is clearly one of the weird stories of the Bible, right? The serpents are biting all the people, and uh, God gives the instructions to Moses, put the serpent up on the pole, walk around, everybody looks at the serpent, it's going to be healed. 
You read that and you go, what? And then it gets weirder because then you go to John chapter 3 and verse 14, and it says this, as Moses put the serpent on the pole, okay, so as the Son of Man be lifted up, right? And so you, you go, what is going on here? The serp- what's this whole serpent thing about? Why did he do that? And, and it just kind of went back to this thing. It's not, it's about your faith in what God says he wants you to do. It's about obedience. God says, I'm going to use a serpent because you got bit by one. And I bet you there were people in the crowd said, that's stupid. I'm not looking at the serpent and they died. Don't you think? He's got a huge sense of humor. I mean, you think, yeah, I mean, I mean, seriously. And isn't it interesting that what's the symbol for, for uh, the medical world? And I got to tell you something. They might tell you that came out of the Greek, but I'm telling you, the story in the Bible preceded the Greeks, just so you know, historically. So why is it there? Because it doesn't make any sense to put that on a pole. It's a pole, and it's got a serpent wrapped around it. Okay? All right. Um, so we want to change those attitudes. We want to, so the serpent thing, um, always seek reconciliation. Sometimes somebody doesn't want to be reconciled. What do you do? Well, you've done all you can do. You have to turn it over to the hands of God. You say, I tried. I, you, you don't talk to me. You won't see me. You won't call me back or whatever, but I tried. Okay, God, I've done my part. Um, but you stay open. You don't say, well, I tried once and I don't have to try again. No, no. You know, gift. Sometimes God takes time to work stuff out. You ever notice that? It doesn't, nothing happens like this. You know, ideally, you know, it's going to happen like this. But, you know, God sometimes got to work some stuff out of all of us because we're super complicated people. Uh, we want to renounce, number three, renounce the lies of Satan. Okay? All bondage begins with a lie, doesn't it? All bondage begins with a lie. So what you got to do is you got to expose the lie. What was the lie? Let's let's expose it, and let's renounce it. Let's renew our mind. Hebrew, I mean uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse two. You know we want to have a transformer. We want to renew it. You got those toxic thoughts. If you've ever studied Caroline Leaf, who's coming here in two thousand seventeen. Okay, we've got her book for two thousand seventeen. But you want to take those toxic thoughts. You want to just think about your mind's got these little black dots in it. This is an easiest way to do it. This is how she tells you. Look at those little black dots. Those are like little toxic um, points in your head. What you want to do is you want to say, God, there's a toxic thought, and I think it's this. I want to just apply that, and I want to literally have a renewed mind. I want you to renew those toxic thoughts that are in my head. She has a wonderful way of going through a 21-day uh, renewal, and she can show you on a spec scan how you can take that spec scan, and then you can take it uh, 21 days later, and how your brain literally looks different. Literally, okay. So what she and she's total into the Word of God. You know, this is what she does um, in terms of the brain. But she'll show you from the Word of God how the Word of God is true scientifically when it comes to renewed mind. It's really it's an amazing little deal, okay. 21-day detox. It is fantastic. And I'll tell you, I did it, and uh, I'm going to do it again. Um, You know, I finished it up, but I noticed about day 11 or 12, wow, my brain was working different, you know, really working different. It really, I mean, it, I thought, I thought, yeah, this is probably pretty cool, but it turned out to be way cooler than I thought, way more helpful than I thought. A Caroline leaf, just like a leaf on a tree, 
and it and her her book is uh, if you want to read her book, it's uh, Who Switched Off My Brain. Is her first book, but you can do the Twenty One Detox online. It's it takes you ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. She says it, it shouldn't take you more. If it's taking you more than ten minutes, you're taking too long on it. She started doing this. Uh, she's actually South African. She's actually from Johannesburg. And she started doing this in some of these poor areas, actually where we went into in South Africa. She started with these kids. She started realizing she could turn around medical problems with a, with a detox, 21-day detox with kids that were having learning disabilities or having even epilepsy. It was, it was amazing. Some of the, and it's all scientifically verified stuff. So it, it's, it's, it's definitely worth uh, checking into. I, I really, really recommend it. Okay, 21-day detox. Everybody's got a dirty mind. Let's get them cleaned up. Amen? What is it they say, uh, you know, you Christians are all brainwashed? Well, yeah. If it needs a good scrub, let's scrub it. Amen? You know, our Christianity's uh, just a crutch. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Limp around? Get a crutch. Walk around with it. Dang it. Right? Um, and so, renounce the lie. So, what was the lie? The older brother had the lie, right? Over there in uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 31, the, the older brother was mad because his father received the brother back. He said, this son of yours who took, you know, took half of his, took your inheritance. Well, you got the other half. If you read the story, the older brother got the other half of it. What do you, what's your problem? His problem was he hated grace. I don't want anybody to be forgiven. He hated grace. He was caught up in religion. And so who was in greater bondage? At that point, the older brother. Before the younger one came back, they were both in bondage. <clears throat> you can be in bondage and be a good person. You can be in bondage and be a bad person. Right? So bondage doesn't, you know, you can be religious and be in bondage. In fact, some of the, the steepest bondage is a religious spirit that masquerades itself as human goodness. Uh, number four, receive the gifts of the Father. So what did he get? He got, the, he got the ring, he got the robe, and he got the shoes. And so the robe was, was always a picture of righteousness. You put it on, put on the character. Ring was a picture of authority. Remember, you remember the, the kings uh, sealed the, the fate of... Um, of Shadrach, uh, no, of uh, Daniel in the lion's den with a ring, and the ring was a symbol of authority. Um, and then there was the shoes, which was a picture of power. And if you had shoes, the Roman soldiers, one of the reasons they were so effective was they had sandals. You know, can you imagine out there being a good sword fight and you step on a thorn? Oh, guy cuts your head off, you know. I mean, seriously. I had a professor at Oxford, and he, uh, he uh, was head of the biological warfare department for the Royal Air Force. And he, he would oftentimes he would just kind of talk about different times in, in, in warfare, military warfare, what were the, the big change, in, change points that made, you know, made a, another army more, more effective. And so he said what was arguably the most effective up until the 20th century, up to the 19th century, he said, I think, the most effective transformation in warfare. It wasn't shoes. It was close, though. It was stirrups on a horse. The dude could stay on the horse. Think about it. How basic is that? 
It was easy, too, too hard to knock. It was easy to knock a guy off. Once you got stirrups on, that guy was going in. Then all of a sudden, and then he would talk about the next thing. He said, then comes along the, now you got the guy on the horse with the stirrups, and he's got a suit of armor. It would take a peasant. The, the, a suit of armor was the equivalent of a peasant's wages for his entire lifetime. So here's this cat running around, you know, on the big armor. You know, it took like four guys to get him up there. Pity the man if he falls off of it, right? Like a turtle upside down. So anyway, but that same peasant, as warfare change, could take a gun, shoot it, and put a hole through the armor, and the guy's gone. And you, you see how things change, right? And so when you think about the battle that you're in, you know, you've got you've to always be, you've got to be powered in it. You've got to be in a power position, which is the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. On page 203, I'm just going to, uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray this over uh, you and us, and that we're going to be done for tonight. But this is so powerful and so good. I, I hope you'll kind of mark your Bible. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes and just, just listen. Um, you can read this for yourself because it's there. It's a little bit long. You know, it's a couple of pages long, but I, I think you'll find it to be really good. And let's just, uh, before I read it, let's just ask God to just prepare our hearts to receive um, really the, the freedom and the forgiveness and the liberty that comes uh, by the hand of God um, because it's more powerful. These words, while they're powerful, it's really about God. Let's just get ourselves in a frame of mind that way. Lord, right now, by the authority that you have given me, I take authority over Satan. I address every demonic spirit that has held my brothers and sisters in bondage. I do this in Jesus' name. In his name, I command you to go. In Jesus' name, it's not the authority of my voice or the words on this paper. It is by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters are covered by the blood of the Lamb. They have overcome by the word of their testimony and their belief in Jesus Christ. They are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sweeter than honey, purer than gold. In the name of Jesus, by the word of God and by the blood of the Lamb, my brothers and sisters are set free today, right now. I take authority over every spirit of bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment or hate or malice, envy or jealousy. I command you in Jesus' name to go right now. I rebuke every spirit of insecurity or inferiority, fear, rejection, self-hate, self-pity, or self-destruction in Jesus' name. Suicide, I command you in the name of Jesus to go right now. Every spirit of anger or rage or murder or violence or lawlessness, I command you in Jesus' name to go. Every spirit of sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, lust, pornography, all forms of sexual impurity, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go right now. Every spirit of pride or lying, every Jezebel spirit, every spirit of deception, manipulation, or control, I command you in Jesus' name to go. Every spirit of criticism, judgmentalism, arrogance, prejudice, or racism, I command you in the name of Jesus to go. Every spirit of greed, materialism, selfishness, 
covetousness, or selfish ambition, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Depression, anxiety, worry, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Addiction, alcoholism, drunkenness, drugs, gluttony, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Every spirit of legalism or religious pride or heresy or false doctrine, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Every spirit of stealing or slothfulness, laziness, unbelief, rebellion to authority, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Every spirit of guilt, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Every spirit of sickness or disease, infirmities, chronic health issues, in Jesus' name I command you to go. Every spirit of witchcraft or the occult, blasphemy, in Jesus' name I command you to go. In the name of Jesus, I break every word, curse, and spell spoken over my brothers and sisters. Every generational curse in Jesus' name, I command you to go right now. Every demonic spirit that has held my brothers or sisters in bondage, in Jesus' name, I command you to go right now. Lord, please fill each of us to a measure, a full measure of your Holy Spirit. Every place that evil spirits have left, please fill with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I want you and only you to be in their life. Lord, I ask you to fill each person with your spirit right now from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. We receive you in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we rebuke the attack of the enemy that would come and take what is rightfully ours. Neither man nor woman or circumstance nor time can take what the Creator has given to us today. I declare the blood of Jesus over every person who reads this book. We thank you, Lord, God, with humble hearts for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness. May everyone who reads this book, hears this voice, be protected in Jesus' name. May God guide each person through the wilderness and protect him or her through the storm. We declare in prayer that the one who watches over us neither sleeps nor slumbers. He protects us. He avenges us. May, he always, may we always be in the protection of his wings. Christ be with you, within you. Christ be before you and behind you. Christ on your right, on your left. Christ above you, beneath you. Christ around you. Christ right now and forevermore. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, breathe your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our spirits. May we, may we fearing you only, have no other fear. Knowing your compassion, May we ever be mindful of your love. And serving you faithfully unto death, may we live eternally with you. We thank you today, and we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, everybody still awake? Lights are, lights are out down here. Well, it's a good book. Uh, I know you'll, you'll probably, if you haven't finished it yet, you'll get a chance to finish it up and uh, glean from it. But thanks for being here. We will keep you informed about the next class. It'll start in September. We're about halfway done in uh, August, and Labor Day comes, and it gets goofy on us. So um, you guys, God bless. What's that? No, I will, uh, we'll, we'll send out something uh, about next class. And we will uh, also post it on the on the website. Okay, guys, thank you so much.